you're telling me by 2027, 90% of Americans are going to be dead. We should be talking about that. You are listening to Hebrew Voices with Nehemia Gordon. Thank you for supporting Nehemia's Makor Hebrew Foundation. Learn more at NehemiahsWall.com. Shalom, this is Nehemia Gordon. I'm coming to you from Jerusalem, and I am here today with Joe Duman, and he is the author of the book, 2300 Days of Hell, Two Witnesses, Joseph's Seven Years of Plenty, and Seven Years of Famine. There's a picture on the cover of this book, 2300 Days of Hell, which is the Statue of Liberty. I think, Joe, this was probably inspired by the movie um, The Planet of the Apes, right? What was it? Was it? I don't know. The guy that did it for me, it may, you may be right. You no, because be there's right. this a really powerful scene at the end of the movie, The Planet of the Apes. You've seen it, of course. It's a really old movie. It's the original Planet of the Apes movie. At the end of the movie, Charlton Heston, he's on the beach or something, and he sees the Statue of Liberty, and he realizes he's not on an alien planet. He's on planet Earth. And so your book has that cover. Joe, how did you come to write a book about the essentially the end of the world? You're a ditch digger from Canada. You're not an academic. You're not a scholar. You're just a plain old guy who wanted to know the truth. And that's what I love about you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how you came to write this book. You had to call me old? Um, I'm sensitive. <laughs> you know, I've just turned 60. You're older than me. That yeah. makes you old. <laughs> I got challenged about the Sabbath in 1982, and I, I proved that the Sabbath is correct. So that's a long time ago. And then in 2004, I heard about the crescent moon, and I heard through Michael Root. So I came to see Michael Root in Lansing, Michigan, the winter of 2004, 2005, and you were there, and I didn't know who you were, and you guys were talking about that, and I was so excited to learn about it. So I started to tune into you a little bit more after that, and then at Passover in 2005, I was challenged as to whether I was going to keep the crescent moon Passover or the the rabbinic calendar or Hebraic roots calendar. Let's back up a little bit. So in 1982, you were challenged about the Shabbat. And then like, what was your affiliation? Or well, I, I proved that the Sabbath was true. And then I began to attend the Worldwide Church of God. Okay. Herbert Armstrong. Okay. And then in 2004, when you came to hear me and, and Michael Rood, you were in something called the United Church of God. Is that right? That's right. What I was just learning from you was the Crescent Moon. And I just learned that his name wasn't God that his name, at that time for me, it was Yahweh. And you weren't talking about Yehovah at that time, I don't think. Not that I'm, I, I was remember. using the name Yehovah, but that wasn't the focus of my No, teaching. because I came back, I remember telling my pastor, I said, we might have to change it from the Church of God to the Church of Yahweh. And I was kind of all excited about that because he has a name, and I didn't know that. And did that. he get excited about it too, your pastor? No, no, I got put on the detention list to, to watch this guy. Wait, seriously? Yeah, I, well, I was being trained at that time, I think, to be a deacon, and they were about to lay hands on me and stuff, but they laid hands on me to get me out after that. <laughs> <laughs> and this was the United Church of God? This was the United okay. Church. I don't begrudge the Church of God, and I learned so much about the Sabbath and the Holy Days and understanding the, the Torah from them. They're a great stepping stone for me in my journey. So I'm not knocking them at all. Nothing but praise for them. There are some things, you know, everyone's got some things negative to say about different groups. I don't focus on, I focus on what I learned from. I Come learned on, a the lot. common ground. This is what I yeah. focus on. Yeah. All right. Let me finish the story. Yeah. So after I came and seen you guys, Passover came, and you made an announcement that Passover was going to be 
30 days before when the Worldwide Church or United Church of God was keeping it. And I wrote you a great big hate letter. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. I blasted you and I felt so bad ever since. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry publicly for saying that. I got news for you. I may not have even read that letter, but okay. I might have. I don't know. But I was so mad because I thought I could hide my two different beliefs at that time together. In other words, you had your observance of the, I'm going to call it the calendar. The rabbinic calendar. Okay. That's what the United Church of God was doing? Yes. So there was the public rabbinical calendar and at the same time your conviction was to follow the actual sighted new moon after i met you guys in right and so you have those two things that you're in your head that you're and this is a uh, i think a, a typical example of um what sometimes ends up with people is a cognitive dissonance right like in your heart you know something's true okay i work construction four letter words is okay. all i know <laughs> okay and you literally work construction right? yes you work you operate a backhoe right i, I dig ditches for a living that's okay. the honest to god's truth right and, and that's one of the things like I, I think i said before that i really like about you is you're just the simple guy who's who's searching for truth. And you're kind of like a, a dog with a bone that you don't drop it. I mean, the man walks in today and he hands me this big stack of papers on the tombstones <laughs> of Tsoar. And he's had somebody translate these things from Hebrew and Aramaic. And he's got these charts and these dates. And I, I'm not sure he's right, but you've definitely put your work in. So what I really like about what you do is here you're following the sources to their logical conclusion. Yeah. And you're willing to hire a translator to translate sources you can't read. And you're willing to look at those sources and line them up. And in some instances, some of the sources might not fit with your understanding, yeah. but you're willing to say, okay, you know, here's the tombstones I have. And here's the other sources that don't fit with what I understand. And you're, uh, that's what I really like about what you're doing. You're genuinely looking for the truth. Now, how does that lead to the world ending with, and I'm going to use that term, the world ending, right? It's not exactly ending per se. This is what people normally call the end times, right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. When is that going to begin? The end times? Yeah. When does the end times begin in modern chronological terms? I'm saying they've already began. Oh. But the date you want me to say is the year 2020. I want you to say what you're understanding. No, no. So what's going to happen in the year 2020? (laughs) Well, Israel, all 12 tribes, will become as if they never existed before. What does that mean? That means they're going to be wiped out. It starts in the year 2020. It goes on for a period of six and a quarter years. So between 2020 and 2026 or seven, there's going to be some great calamity. No, a number of things. A number of things. Well, one of them is going to be the Jews are going to be wiped out. Okay, so when I say the 12 tribes of Israel, I am not speaking specifically about the Jews. The Jews Jews are are one one twelfth of the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and this is what people refer to as the two-house doctrine. No, I don't like that, because the two-house doctrine that people say is the house of Judah and the rest of the world. That's the two houses. And I disagree with that. They're the 10 lost tribes. You can trace them by ancient textual sources, such as Ezra Hardon. And I'm not sure if I say his name right. Esar Chadon. Okay. okay. So who is a king, an empire, emperor of Assyria? Of, of Assyria. Okay. Wait, so, so are you identifying 10 specific nations or something? Like, give me an example of who the 10 tribes are. The United States, uh, Canada, England, Holland, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Norway, Switzerland, those nations up like that. Okay. I don't know if I got so, all 10, but... Okay. So in other words, this is what was taught by the Worldwide Church of God, and it's similar to, or it grew out of the British Israelite It grew idea. out of that, okay. yes. Okay. But I disregarded so what's British Israelite. So, okay, how and, so? Well, I do it like you tell people do. Go back to the original source. Okay. Don't believe what people tell you. Okay. Go back to the original source. But for source. example, you believe Canada is one of the 10 lost tribes. They're a part of the 10 lost okay. tribes. Which one specifically? So what's no, gonna, I don't what's know. what's going to happen to Norway and Canada? Let's start with that. Well, that, well, the population of Canada is approximately 30 million. The population of Norway, if I remember correctly, was uh, 20 million, but I'm not sure about that number. And so take 10%, take 
that's what's going to be left. So 90% of Canadians, 90% of Americans. Gone. And guys, I'm I'm just going to say up front, I'm extremely skeptical of any of these end times calculations and scenarios. And that comes from my study of Jewish history, that this is something that has happened time and again in Jewish history. I'm just, I'm not saying you're wrong because I I can't prove you wrong. What I can say is I'm very skeptical. You said you can't prove me wrong? Well, no, I think in some way this type of thing is unfalsifiable, meaning it can't be disproven by its nature until it happens. Until 2021. Until 2028 or seven, right? Okay. Right. In other words, by its nature, I don't know that you can disprove any of these end time scenarios, like even in a theoretical way. Wait, so let me let me just give you an example. So in the fourth century, there was a, or even in the, in the second century, I have a teaching about this. Pesher and the Dead Sea Scrolls, and I bring an example how the Jews fought a war against the Romans based on an end times prediction that the uh, Messiah would come when Rome conquered what today is Iraq or Mesopotamia. And as soon as Rome conquered Mesopotamia, they said, okay, now it's time to overthrow the Romans because this is the end times prediction we were waiting for. And it was a devastating war in which maybe millions of Jews were killed against the Romans. We lost the war. And then there's another war in the year 132 based on calculations. Well, it has to be 70 years from the destruction of the temple. So they started another war against the Romans based on the end times calculation. And this theme repeated itself over and over and over in Jewish history. And every time it resulted in the persecution of the Jews. Now, at some point, the prediction is going to be right, right? It's going to be correct, right? But up until now, all the predictions have been wrong and always ended up in Jewish persecution. So I'm, I'm extremely skeptical, but I'm willing to hear what you have to say. Okay. So I'm not endorsing it. I want to hear what the 2300 days of hell are. Okay. First of all, I had to do the sabbatical and give your chronology, which is what this chart is that I've given you. And it's free on my website for anyone who wants to download it. And your website is? Sightedmoon.com. So I've said to God, I said, if this is true, I'm willing to stick my neck out as long as you teach me the truth. Don't teach me this lies and, and fairy tale stuff. If it's the truth, I'll say it. And But I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback on this. And I understand that. And I have. So I discovered the sabbatical and Jubilee years, the year that I had to make the decision on whether I was going to keep the sabbatical or the Passover according to the crescent moon or the Hebrew calendar. And by Hebrew calendar, you mean the rabbinic calendar. Yes, right. And I'd learned that from you and, and Michael Rood that winter, which I'd never heard of before. So when I made the decision to keep Passover, that same day, I was introduced to when the sabbatical years were, which I've been praying about for a long time, because I was wondering, why would God give you a command and not tell you when it is? Let's stop there for a second. For those who are not familiar, in Leviticus 25 and in other passages, we have this concept that you plant for six years, and the seventh year, you don't plant. And this is what we call in Hebrew, Shemitah. This became very popular a few years ago in the U.S. under the mispronunciation Shemitah, (laughs) but it's Shemitah, which is also called the sabbatical year. The other major thing that happens in Shemitah is the debts are dissolved. That is, you lend someone money, and that is, and you have until the end of the sixth year to collect that, and then it's erased essentially in, in the sabbatical year. And I actually had to do that, and I didn't like it very much. Okay, <laughs> and it wasn't just a couple dollars. Uh, I, I could understand, and, and those weren't even just Canadian dollars, were they? <laughs> um, so there is a tradition today of when the sabbatical year is, when the shemitah year. And guys, I have a a program where I talk about my understanding of when the Shemitah year is. You can go look for that. We'll put a link on the website, nehemiaswall.com. And Joe here does not agree with my conclusions. So when I did the research, I wanted to trace back, why do we say a particular year is is the sabbatical year? And I traced it back to Maimonides, who was this rabbi, you know, also known as Rambam in the 12th century. And here's what he wrote in the Mishnah Torah. That's the name of his book. In Hilchot Shemitah Yovel, chapter 10, sections 5 to 6, he said, however, all the Gaonim said that they have a tradition from one man to another. In other words, he first brings how there's all these different opinions, 
We're not exactly sure when the Shemitah is. And then he says, okay, those are opinions. Here's the tradition we have. He says that during the 70 years between the destruction of the first temple and the building of the second temple, they only counted Shemitahs without Jubilees. I mean, the Jubilee is the 50th year and the Shemitah is the sabbatical year. So too, when the latter temple was destroyed, they did not count the 50th year, but only multiples of seven from the beginning of the year of destruction. This calculation, which is a tradition, appears in the Talmud, etc. And then he says, here's the key line. He says, the year of the Shemitah is known and famous among the Geonim, those are the rabbinical leaders in Israel, and the people of the land of Israel. They all counted only the years of the destruction, multiples of seven, According to this calculation, this year, being the year he's writing, which is 1,107 year of destruction, is the year following a Shemitah. We rely on this and we teach this calculation for matters of tithes, produce, and loans. Let's look it up right now on air. What year? It was 1,107 of the destruction of the second temple was the year following a Shemitah. So 1,106 of destruction would be a Shemitah, according so to my So 1106, so yeah. 1176 is what I'm looking no, for. 1106. I got to add 72. Guys, let me give you a little bit of a background. So Jews counted years in different ways. So today we say we're recording this in 2018. 2018 is Anno Domini, which is according to Christians, and I believe the 5th or 6th century, they calculated when they believed that Jesus was born. I think most scholars today say that's not accurate. Wait, Joe's got something oh, here. Oh, I'm doing the happy dance. Okay, hold on. <laughs> I want to give people the background. So we have different ways of counting things. So the Christians counted from the year of Jesus, even though today they'll say that Yeshua was born in 6 BC. And what year do you say Yeshua was born? 3 BC. 3 BC, which is kind of ironic. Yeshua was born three before Christ, right? Then a lot of people will say instead of BC, they'll say BCE, before the common era because it's no longer believed that that's exactly when Yeshua was born. And then other people say BCE is before the Christian era. Jews really didn't use that counting until relatively late. What Jews used was early on the Seleucid era, that is the counting of the Greek empire of Seleucus, the general of Alexander the Great. And we were looking earlier today at one Maccabees and two Maccabees. They'll say year, you know, 150. 150 of what? Of the counting of the Greeks. Now, when does that begin? Around 312 or 311 BCE. And it's that around that's a bit of a problem (laughs) because there's different ways of reckoning it. And then other Jews started counting around the second century CE or AD. They started counting from the creation of the world. Now, were they right about when the world was created? I don't think so, but that was a system that was used beginning around the second century CE. Other Jews counted from the destruction of the temple. Which is what we have here. So Maimonides here says year 1107 of the destruction of the temple is the year following a Shemitah. Okay, go. And we add 70 years to that. Wait, now, what are you looking at? Tell people what you're looking okay, at. Okay, I have I have made a chart, which you can download from my website for free, of every sabbatical year from the creation of Adam for six millennial days. And that's based on your reckoning. That's and right. One of your well, main... hang on. No, hang on. That's not great. It's based on 2 Kings 19.29. That alone will tell you when the sabbatical year is. And okay. a jubilee. And remind me what 2 Kings 19.29 is. It's the, when Jehovah is speaking to Hezekiah and through Isaiah. And he says, here's how you know that the, the, our Syrians are not going to invade. This year you shall eat what grows of itself. The following year you shall eat what grows of the same. And in the third year you shall plant and sow and harvest. And that tells us when the sabbatical year is? That is the 49th year, which is the first year, ah, and the okay. 50th year. There's two times the entire Bible you have a jubilee year mentioned in the Bible, and that's right. one of them. That's not so clear to me that that's referring to a jubilee year, but let's say okay. it is. Even so, then what year is that? Based on our current system. It's the most undisputed date in history that all recognized chronologists agree to that the year the Assyria invaded 
Israel. Except the rabbis don't accept that the temple was destroyed in 586 BCE. We're not talking about 586 and, no, because I this understand. is the year 701 I understand. BC. So 701 BC, you know, guys, I've looked this up. So the entire Assyrian chronology is based on, if I remember correctly, two eclipses that took place in Nineveh, and they're mentioned in, in Assyrian sources. And then scholars went along and, and said, okay, well, we can calculate eclipses pretty easily. And they came up with these years 701 BC, and then from that, 586 BC, right? In other words, that's an extrapolation yes. based on the Assyrian information. The Assyrian chronology is the only one that we have that we can chronologically right. follow down to our time. So, so having said that, well, we're not doing it based on our time. We're doing it based on the eclipses, from what I understand. But the, while the Assyrian chronology comes down to our chronology today, but the, right. the Israelite or Jewish chronology right. or Israelite chronology there's only two days or two years that they can tie into the Assyrian one to know when the Israel was in, here. In any event, so there's a couple points here. One is we're not 100% sure that this is a jubilee. You're arguing that, and you could be right. Yep. And number two is we're relying on the Assyrian chronology, which I'm not 100% convinced, I have to say. I'm not saying it's wrong. I would like somebody in the 21st century to go back and check all those dates and those calculations, because as far as I know, that was done in the 19th century, and I don't know that anybody's actually verified this. But let's just say, for argument's sake, it's correct. The Jews have a different chronology, and, and, or I should say the rabbis have a different chronology. In other words, the rabbis pushed forward the destruction of the temple by over 100 years of the first temple. I don't think they're right, because they essentially almost obliterate the Persian period. The chronology of these periods is not so clear, at least to me, let's put it that way. I think we're in much better grounding when we're in the 12th century in Maimonides, and he says 1107 from the destruction of the temple, and we know the temple was destroyed between 68 and 70. But what do you got here? So what are you showing me here? You're showing I'm me a showing chart you the year. that you've worked out based on how many pieces of evidence? Was it like 45 or something? I believe I now have 45 artifacts, historical and biblical Okay, and, and so proofs. for example, one of them we were looking before is in 1 Maccabees chapter 6, it talks about how there was a siege and the siege was broken because they were in a sabbatical year and you're able to calculate, you believe, when that sabbatical year 162 is. BC. And so you have 45 points like that yes. that you're saying line up. And based on that, you're showing me a chart. 46 now that I didn't know about Rambam okay, here. Okay, 46, not with Rambam. No, but it's 1107. So you had 72 right. after the destruction of the temple. Oh, 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 oh. So these are years CE? Yes. That you're showing me in your yes. chart? So I'm looking here at 1176. And 1176 you have as a sabbatical year? Oh, here it is. So wait a minute. So, okay, now I'm confused. <laughs> because then this, if, so so the modern rabbinical reckoning is based on what Maimonides said. Maimonides, what you just read, he said, Rambam just said, this year, whenever he wrote this. He wrote it in 1107 of the destruction of the temple. Meaning, and, and so so guys, here's a bit of a, of a confusion. And we're going to get back to the 2300 days of hell, because <laughs> uh, that's the money ball people want to hear about. But uh, this is the kind of thing that actually is more interesting to me. Because look, if you're wrong about the, and you're willing to admit, right? You're not, you're not saying, you're not yeah. saying thus say it the Lord. You're no, saying, there's no thus say I've, the done, Lord. I've done calculations. And if your calculations are wrong, they're wrong. So in, in 2027, this discussion about Maimonides will still be relevant, whether or not the world comes to an end as we know it. Okay. So he says in 1107, uh, let me read it in Hebrew. <speaking> Meaning 1,107, uh, is the going out of a sabbatical year. Okay. And that has to do with this whole discussion of, of what it says in the Talmud. We're not going to get into that. And he says, well, this is a, what we rely upon. In other words, he says, yeah, there's all these different calculations and opinions. But the bottom line is there's a tradition. And, and this tradition comes from the land of Israel where people knew what they were talking about. Okay. So this is the part that excited me. And I was researching this before we ever discussed it. I was actually taking these two gentlemen on a tour of the Israel Museum. And they were 
part of this religious group that follows a sabbatical year in the 20th, first century in the United States. And there are two tombstones at the Israel Museum, that are, three tombstones really, but two of them on display mention a date based on the destruction of the temple and the date of the sabbatical year. Now tell me how you found out about these tombstones. Somebody told me about them in yeah. uh, 2013. They said, did you know that these were in the museum? And so the next time I came to Israel, I went and looked and yeah. found them. And was doing the happy dance again because okay. okay. And you had mentioned to me before you like you heard about them on my podcast or something. Well, or? after that, I heard about oh. them on your podcast. Okay, or maybe before it was about the same time. Yeah, but at that time there was just a handful that I, I could figure out. Yeah, and just this past winter, through the the blessings of Yoel Halevi, he's uh -huh. translated up, and I think I've now got twenty three or maybe twenty three that confirm what I'm saying and 30 in total, and these these other ones are yeah. just things strange about them, but I've included them. And that's interesting because when I did my research, and I'm looking here, it was around 2009 I was doing my research, there were only 17 tombstones that had been published, yeah. and more have been published since I did my research. So you actually have access to information I didn't have access to, and at least, well, I don't know how many, but you, you have, you say around 29 or 30 tombstones, and I had 17. All right, well, this is interesting. So this is what I was excited about. Here I have this statement by Maimonides, and I can check it against the tombstones, right? He's saying there's a tradition from the land of Israel of when the sabbatical cycle is. He said all, all these opinions don't matter, basically, is what he says. We have a solid tradition that all the sages of the land of Israel agree on, and the mass isn't the Jews in the land of Israel, the population there have, have preserved this, and it's that the year 1107 of the destruction of the temple is the year following a sabbatical cycle, meaning it's year one, is what he's telling us. That 1107 of the destruction of the temple is year one. Now, one of the controversial questions is when was the temple destroyed? Well, everyone knows it was yeah. destroyed in 70, but according to the rabbinical reckoning, the classical rabbinical reckoning, I should say, the temple was destroyed in the year 68. Maimonides says that's not so straightforward. It might be 69. It might even be 70, even according to some Jewish sources. It, it gets complicated. One of the complications here is Jews were using this cycle of the destruction of the temple. Well, when did the year begin, right? So did the year begin at the first of Tishrei? or did the year begin at the first of Aviv, or the first of Nisan, or did the year begin on the ninth of Av? For some Jewish communities, yep. into the 20th century, there were Jews who were still counting the destruction of the temple, and they would begin each year with the ninth of Av when the temple was destroyed, and they'd say, okay, now is year or whatever of the destruction of the temple. So there's a lot of complications here, but you say you have 45, now 46 points. 46. That all point to a single it's chronology. A good day. So when's the next sabbatical year according to your cycle? 2023, starting at Aviv, until Aviv 2024 is the next sabbatical year. That fit with my, what Maimonides says based on what, in other words, well, yes. the modern rabbinical reckoning is based on Maimonides. No. You're saying Maimonides fits you and not the modern rabbinical reckoning. The modern rabbinical reckoning would be, it's about a year and a half before me. And what Maimonides, what you just read from Maimonides, we just checked it and it matched. It matches and your, you your chart. Yourself. It's you saw true. It. I, I don't know what to say about that. This is a big breakthrough, what Whoa, you just showed that, me. That's huge. Uh, okay. We just did it together. Live on air, guys. This wow. was not planned. I've, in Goosebumps. fact, we, we've been sitting for four hours before this conversation, and I said, I wish I had my notes in front of me, but they were on this external hard drive I had to dig up, and I just finally looked at this now for the first time. And you're telling me it matches what you say and not what the rabbis say, even though they claim they're based on Maimonides. So guys, we're going to do something really unusual live on air. We have this book from Maimonides. It's called Mishneh Torah, also called Yad Chazakah, written in the year 1107 of the destruction of the temple, according to my notes. My notes are based on the digital version of Maimonides. We're going to do something really powerful right now, sitting here live. We're going to look up the manuscript of Maimonides. And in the case of the manuscript of Maimonides, we have something that's almost unprecedented in world history. We have what is, what is virtually the autograph 
of the manuscript. And what do I mean by an autograph? So when we look at the book of Exodus, we have a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. We don't have the one that Moses wrote with his, with his own hand that hasn't been discovered yet. That's true of almost every book written in history. It's certainly true of every printed book, right? In other words, when you wrote your book, 2300 Days of Hell, you sat there and you typed it on your computer. The autograph in this case would be the original Word doc or whatever you used. So what we have with many manuscripts is, or almost every manuscript, almost every book from history is copies of copies of copies of copies. Occasionally we have an autograph, which is the original written by the author. In the case of Maimonides book, Yad Chazakah or Mishnah Torah, we have something which is almost the autograph. What happened is somebody sent their copy of his book to Maimonides and said, would you check this to make sure it's perfect? And then at the end, Maimonides signed his name to it and said, this was checked by me. I mean, that's unprecedented in world history. So what we can do right now, live on air, is we're going to look up the manuscript that was checked by Maimonides himself to see if it actually says 1107. Because we might look up the autograph and find out it says 1105 and someone changed it. And why did they change it? Because they wanted it to fit their theory. I'm wringing my hands here in anticipation that, uh-oh, what's going to happen? And why are we doing this? I mean, normally people wouldn't bother to look it up because, yeah, you know, 1107 is probably right. It's in the print. It's online. It's in the printed edition. It's in every edition that's been known. But we have a rare opportunity here to check it with the original author. I mean, imagine that. Maimonides lived nearly a thousand years ago, and we can check what he wrote with him directly. Let's do it. That's unbelievable, Let's isn't it? Let's do it. I'm excited. And guys, look, until a couple of years ago, you couldn't do this because it wasn't available online. Now it is. All right. What we're doing is we're going to the Oxford University website, and we're going to look for manuscript Huntington 80. And that is the copy of the Mishnah Torah that was proofread by Maimonides himself. And we have an opportunity to do something today that in the history of scholarship was virtually impossible, that we can actually look this up ourselves in the original, proofread by Maimonides, yes. Can I, can I interject here while you're... Please, yeah, absolutely. In 2013, when I was presenting this teaching in Tennessee, a gentleman in the front row said he had these two tombstones, which we've talked about in the Israeli Museum here, and I had not heard of them, and I asked him to give me the dates, and we'll check it and compare it to my charts here and see if they match. And sticking my neck out, not sure what the results would be, and they match. And I was so happy. Yeah. And I'm doing the same thing here right now with yeah. you. And I'm scared to death, but I'm thinking this could be amazing. It could be. <laughs> or detrimental to everything. Okay, I have some bad news. Uh-oh. So there's only two sections of Maimonides' uh, Mishnah Torah that have survived, and they don't include this section. So we're out of luck. Aww. So I want to understand here, the rabbinical calculation is off from what you calculate by a number of years, by a year and a half, you a said. In other words, if you Google online when, let's do it, Google on when is Shemitah, they're going to tell us a year, which is supposed to be based on Maimonides, yet you're telling us Maimonides actually fits your understanding, not theirs. So what, what is what am I missing here? I don't know. I haven't um, researched this. It's all brand new to me. I'm okay. so excited. So Chabad.org you know, says that uh, September 7th, 2021 is the beginning of a Shemitah year, and you're saying it's sometime in the fall of... 2023. So that's a year and a half, but they start at Tishri 1, not Aviv. Mm -hmm. That explains the half year part. Right. The year before. So this goes back to the destruction of the temple that you know, which is where uh, we're talking wait about. Wait a minute now. So they're getting 2021 based on the destruction of the temple in the year 69 or 68. Exactly. And you're taking Maimonides and saying, hey, if the if the destruction of the temple is the year 70, this is what we end up with in Maimonides. Okay. The question is, are you right about understanding Maimonides? In other words, Maimonides may have been wrong 
but he may have thought the temple was destroyed in the year 68, right? Oh, and see, now I don't know. So this this is where things get a bit complicated. So Maimonides at some point is going to give us his year of the destruction of the temple. See, guys, this is a complicated topic. It's not, it's, so, it's not easy, and I, I admit that. Yeah. And I'm basing my understanding on the facts that I have that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And I also have history, historical stuff about Rabbi Yossi, who fudged the books in order to make Simon bar Kolpa, So tell us about Rabbi Yossi just very briefly. Rabbi Yossi wrote the history of the Jewish people up until uh, 133 AD, or Common Era, and he's trying to help Rabbi Akiva prove that Simon bar Kolpa is the Messiah. In order to do that, he had to change the dates, and what they're doing is they're using the Daniel 9 prophecy to do this, which is so unbelievable, and this is the first time the Daniel 9 prophecy was ever used by anybody to prove the Messiah was coming. Wait, 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 stop. What are you talking about? Every Christian knows that the strongest proof for Jesus Christ is Daniel 9, 25 and, and on. And you're telling me 100 years after Yeshua, Christians weren't bringing Daniel 9? I'm telling you that not one apostle, not Yeshua himself, used Daniel 9, 24 to 27 to prove that he was the Messiah. Not one. Hold on a second. Are you a believer in Yeshua? I believe in Yeshua. Okay, so you're coming from a New Testament belief perspective. Yes. And you're saying Daniel 9, 24 to 27, was not used by Yeshua himself or his disciples. I'm just repeating what you said. Yep. To prove the timing of Yeshua. So wait a minute. Everybody knows in the Christian world and in the Hebrew roots world that that's what it, that that points to Yeshua. Yes. So, so where are you, what do you, what do you But everyone about? in the Christian world also knows that Jesus was born at Christmas. Well, he wasn't. No. no. <laughs> Go on, Everyone also knows no. that Easter eggs and yeah, bunnies okay. are the Passover. But but the Easter eggs with the chocolate are so delicious. No, no, really, help me but out that, here. So, well, so, can, so who was the first Christian who came up with this idea? I got my information from um, J. Paul Tanner, Introduction of the Messianic Interpretation of the Development of Daniel's 70-Week Prophecy. So he develops it. He's, he's talking about it. And the first church father, and I'm trying to find it here, and this is in your book, 2300 Days of Hell. This is chapter five of my book, The 2300 Days of Hell. Yeah. Okay, Arrhenius, in the year 180. He uses the Daniel 9 prophecy to prove that Jesus is Messiah. And you're saying before Arrhenius, according to the scholar you're quoting? Arrhenius is 180, common era. So before era. Arrhenius, no one quoted this prophecy, is what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. That's what I recall. I may have more details in the book here that I'm forgetting right now. And guys, I just want to make it clear. You know, if you believe in your heart that Yeshua himself taught Daniel 9, we're not disproving that. In other words, yes, we, I am. No, no, no I'm disproving How are you disproving it? I'm disproving it because none of the apostles, nor Yeshua, how can you prove what someone didn't ever say? Ever used it because it's not recorded in the Gospels of almost everything that he said during his three and a half year ministry here on earth. But isn't it possible there are things he taught that aren't recorded? Oh, so now we're going to the oral Torah? No, no, no. No. In other words, in, at the end of Luke, it talks about how he taught about himself, all the things in the law and the prophets, you know, concerning himself, right? And, and what you're bringing up is a really interesting point. Guys, here I am, the Karite, sitting here in Jerusalem, trying to convince him of the classical Christian arguments for Yeshua, and he's telling me, no, Yeshua never said that. So, for example, Psalm 22, the piercing in the hands, is never quoted in the New Testament, and what you can say is that, well, no one in the New Testament explicitly said that that referred to Yeshua, but what you can't really prove is they didn't believe it referred to Yeshua. See what I'm saying? I, I understand Does that make any sense? In yeah. other words, I can't prove what they didn't say. I can only refer to what they did say. And then you end up with what's called the argument from silence, which I think is a powerful argument when you're dealing with something as central 
as the piercing of the hands in Psalm 22 and Daniel 9, the chronology, because if you think about it, so we have this expression in Hebrew, the silence is screaming, right? In other words, we have an argument from silence here, but the silence is screaming. Why didn't they bring, they talk about the, the law. So why didn't they bring it up? Well, oh, so this is the argument. So let's say Psalm 22, the piercing of the hands, right? Which guys, look, go Google that for yourselves and, and study about that. And I'm not trying to convince anybody not to believe in, in Yeshua. Yeah. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that would be such a strong argument for Yeshua. How is it they didn't bring that argument in the New Testament itself? And they brought from the very same Psalm, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The dividing of the clothes, but the piercing of the hands they didn't bring. I mean, it makes me think that maybe that was an argument that was brought up later. And at the time, you know, people were reading it in Hebrew and they're like, well, this is about lions, right? And, and what you're saying is Daniel 9 was only brought up 150 years after Yeshua. Well, 130 by Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yossi. No, no, but but the art, well, they weren't saying it. Okay, but they, they were doing yeah. a different chronology. Yes. Guys, here's one of the things I want you to do. If you know of a source that predates Arrhenius, in a Christian source or any kind of source that quotes Daniel 9 to prove Yeshua, go to the website, nehemiaswall.com, and post in the comments because, you know. Love to read it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I love about yours is you're saying, hey, if I'm wrong, prove me wrong, right? And you're willing to admit you could be wrong, That's right? the motto of my website. I prove love all things. I love and, it. And, you know, the thing, I've learned a lot from you, but you've also said about me, I just want to find the truth, and that's all I want. And guys, I got to say, Daniel 9, this is not my field of expertise. I'm letting Joe present his position here. And, I, and if he's wrong, please tell us, right? I mean, you know, tell, you know, I'd love to know, right? Yeah. So you're saying is really radical. You're saying that the Christians weren't the first ones to use Daniel 9 to prove the coming of a Messiah. It was actually the Jews to prove Bar Kokhba. Wow, you just blew my mind. Then 50 years later, Arrhenius gets that idea and he goes with it. And then 20 years after that, Clement of Alexandria and then Tertullian in 20, uh, 203. Okay, but basically after Arrhenius, the it's, it's established, right? Hipp Hippolytus and then it's Julius Africanus who finally came up with this theory of what we call the gap theory today. Okay, tell what, us in, in, in three sentences. Okay. What, what's the gap theory? The gap theory is that Daniel 9 is talking about Jesus and three and a half years is yet to come. So between his death and his coming back is this 2,000-year gap theory. And that's why we have the rapture going to happen at any moment now because it could be today. And I'm rolling my eyes as I say that. Is because of this Julius Africanus. Hey, and, and I want to try to be respectful of those who believe that the, the rapture may happen tonight. You know, can I say something? I, but that's my I, I respect your respect. Okay. But I'm from the Christian side of things. Get off your tuchus <laughs> and go and research this stuff. The rapture theory, it's a theory. It started in the 1800s. So anyway, that's just my thing. But back to the Daniel this is 9. This some deep stuff, guys. So Daniel 9, if it doesn't refer to Bar Kokhba, which I never thought, and if it doesn't refer to Yeshua, who does it refer to? Who else could it be? Well, it tells you in the very first part of Daniel 9.25. After seven Shavua or Shav Shav Shavuim, yeah. Shavuim, weeks, which is seven times 49, which is 343 years. So when did this start? It started with Moses from the going forth of the command. That was a command to Moses to go and get the Israelites out of Egypt. So what year was that? That was, uh, what did I say? I got to look here. 13, I don't know what year it is. 13? I always say 1450, give or take a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying it by doing the Sabbath of Jubilee chronology from the creation of Adam, which is 2,500 years, well, anyway, that's something else. It's 1386 after the creation, 1386 BC, I'm sorry. Is when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt? Which is approximately when he was given the command. The year is 1379 of the actual Exodus. So sometime before that 
Exodus date is when he was told to go and get them. Okay. How many years? We can argue over okay, the years. Okay. So, so we have to accept that the Exodus was in the 14th century and not the 15th century. And guys, you know, this is one of the things, you know, when was the Exodus? Well, ask secular scholars, they'll say no, there was no Exodus, yeah. right? And then they'll say the Israelites first came into the land in 1200 BC. What do they base that on? On the Merneptah stele. I mean, there's all kinds of things here that were in an era of history with a lot we don't know. And you have to be very careful and take these things with a, you know, a so, grain of salt. And your understanding is 1386 is the beginning of the of the count of Daniel? Uh, 1386 is the beginning, yes. Of and the and count when of does Daniel. it end? It ends at the 3,430 years later, which is the year 2045 or 2044. Wait Hang a on. minute, wait a minute, Let me just say clearly okay, because on. when was the Exodus? I've done my... So the Messiah is going to come in 2044? I've done my calculations based on Genesis 3, and I've done the chronology up until the enter the land. And you can get it all from Genesis 3. You don't have to rely on external sources. It's all right there. And all this is free on your website for those who want more detail? That's right. Okay. And I have it in, in the book, uh, Remembering the Sabbatical Year of 2016. All the research is there. You can double check it. And I'm not here to sell books. I don't care about that. No, but we only have a short period of time. If you want more details, guys, you can go to his website and get his book. Go on. So 1386 is the beginning of that jubilee cycle when Jehovah told Moses to go and get my people. Okay. So he goes and he gets the people. Then it says seven Shavuot later, seven jubilee cycles later. So you interpret Shavuot there week as a jubilee cycle of 49 years. That's a key to your interpretation. Yes. Okay. It's Daniel's talking about the... If you look it up, uh, this is how I learned it. Yeah. Somebody mentioned it, which tipped me off, so I looked it up. He's talking about the word weeks is the Feast of Weeks. What's the Feast of Weeks? Shavuot. It's 49 days plus one. The Jubilee cycle is 49 years plus one. It's exactly the same. And something in your reckoning happened in the time of King David. Tell us about that. King David. Wasn't he the Messiah? According well, to hang you? on. 343 years, it's seven Shavuot. Brings you to the time of King David. Wait, so wait, from, wait, wait. Where do you get 349? Is that seven times 49? Seven times 49. You're right. Yes. Seven times 49 is That's two, the first 343. Part of the verse. 343. According to my calculator here. Yes, right. 343 onto 1386. Minus 343 brings us to 1043. 1043 is the start of the Jubilee cycle, and David was born in 1040. So, so from the going forth of the command, seven Shavuot or seven Shavuot later, brings you to the Messiah, the prince. And that refers to David? That's King David, not Yeshua. So this fits. Daniel 9 now fits. And I didn't have to fudge anything or make wait stuff a minute, up. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, so you believe Daniel 9 refers first to the coming of David in 1040 or so BC, but also to something in the year 20... Hang on, you're jumping ahead now. Look, there's a lot going on here, and I, I want to get the big picture, though, first. Okay. So you you were explaining to me... So now 69 Shavu, Shavua later yeah. brings you to the year 69 times 49. Yeah. Uh, whatever that number is. 3,381. And that'll bring you to the year 1996. Okay. What happened in 1996? Not, nothing. It's a, it's another sabbatical oh, year okay. or jubilee year. But that's the beginning of the 70th week of Daniel. 1996 is the beginning of the 70th week. That's right. That's and why it, when it, you asked me in the beginning, are we, okay. and I said, yes, we've already started. And then it ends 49 years later in 2045. 2044, 2045 being the jubilee, which is the first year of the seventh millennium. So what will happen in 2044-45? Well, Daniel 9 says that in the uh, the next, the, the second Mashiach, not Messiah, not Jesus, Mashiach, which is the anointed. Who is the anointed? Israel is the anointed. All of Israel. 
whether they're keeping Torah or not, whether they know about it or not, these are the DNA descendants of the 12 tribes. They are the anointed, they are the apple of Jehovah's eye. It says they will be cut off, and the King James says for not, or and not, and I never knew what that was until I looked it up. And if you look up the Hebrew of that verse, it says they will be as if they never were. Okay, wow. <laughs> Mind blown again. I'm not saying I'm agreeing with this, but but even like this is a different paradigm than... No, his gears are turning in his brain, yeah, and no, it's no, awesome. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm trying to follow what you're saying. So 2020 to 2027, 90% of Israelites, including the It says the in the middle tribe, of the 70th Jubilee cycle, the 70th Shabuah. Okay, and that's where you get 2020. Is 2020. Okay. But then what happens in 2044 and 45? I don't understand. That is the 49th... So the final 10% will be killed? No. What will happen? There's a remnant that's brought back to the land. In 2044 or 2045. This is not as easy to explain in five seconds. No, I understand, but you we know? need the five-second version. <laughs> uh, they're going to be brought back. So Wait, wait, hand me your book. Okay, guys, he's got a book here that is... 750-plus pages. 700... 700 it's over 700 footnotes. Over 700 pages, and we're trying to get this in a podcast. Yes. So, in the podcast version, and guys, if you want more, you can get this book, read it on his website, what will happen in 2044-45? Okay. 2044-45 is not, it's the beginning, it's just about the beginning of the seventh millennium. The seventh millennium, in, okay, in the book of Hebrews, they shall not enter into his rest. What's that rest? It's called the Sabbath. What is Wait, Sabbath? is this what Christians call the second coming? Mm, I'm not sure. I'm not in sure other words, guy, I, will Yeshua come down to earth and reign as king in 2044 or 45, according to your understanding? Categorically, no. Okay. I can say that with complete confidence. So what will happen? Because now Daniel 9 is not used as your proof that Yeshua, uh, that Yeshua is coming back. Th that's a whole other stuff. We don't have time for wait all that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't believe Yeshua is coming back? Not in this current Jubilee cycle, no. W when will he come back, according to your understanding? Okay, so my understanding is that Yeshua is Yehovah and they're the same person, and that we killed Jehovah on this cross. Not the Jews, we, all of us. And that he is the one who's going to marry Israel after the seventh millennium is over. Wait, so it's another <laughs> thousand years? Yes, at the beginning of the eighth millennium. That's what Sukkot's about. Okay, That's wait what a the minute, guys. About. Archaeologists in the future that uncover this podcast, <laughs> you heard it here for the first time in podcast history, that according to Joe Dumont's understanding, so help me out here with math, 3045 is when Yeshua is going to come? Or Yehovah is going to come? The end of the seventh millennium is, I have it in the charts, and again, they're free to download, is the year 3024. So 3024. <laughs> 3024 Common Era. 3024 of the Common Era. That is when, uh, what will happen then? Okay, so in, in the New Testament, in Revelation, it says Satan will be let loose for a little while at the end of the seventh millennium. Uh -huh. Then he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire with the false prophet and those who don't believe. And then, this is the seven days of the Feast of Sukkot. The eighth day is the most important holy day. And it's the one that those who are keeping Torah now from Christianity, they disrespect it so much. They fly or they drive or they check out of the hotel. It's the most important day. It's the day when God, Jehovah, will come and dwell with man and live here on earth. It's the start of the eighth millennium. So Jehovah is going to come live on earth in the year 3020... After 3024. 3024, okay. What day exactly? I don't know. So, okay, so it's the end of the world as we know it in 2020 to 2026, what 27, people, but we still have another thousand years to put up with. Of With King David as our Messiah, as our anointed prince, 
in 30, to rule over Israel in 2027. Starting well, it's the seventh millennium starts in 2045. Whoa, whoa! So David's coming back. David's got to be brought back from the dead. Yes. And you're just mentioning this now. <laughs> so the physical, literal David is going to be raised from the dead, which I believe he will be. Yes. Right? But but I don't know when. I have no idea when. Um, the Holy Ghost tell you but when. But you believe in 2045, David will reign as king on earth. Yes. Okay. And will David tell the world that Yeshua is the Messiah? No. Well, I don't know what he's going to say. But In, in other words, will David, because here, I'll, I'll be honest with you, if David comes and reigns on earth, Jews will say, huh, not what we expected, but <laughs> but yeah, sure, we have no problem, you know, okay. Yeah. But one of the questions will be, David, will you now tell the Hebrew roots people and the Messianics and the Christians that they were wrong? What will David say? I don't know what David will say. Will he say, my son, my descendant, Yeshua, was the Messiah and is the Messiah, but now there's two Messiahs? I'm confused here, though. This is heavy it's, stuff here. It's Christianity that is confusing stuff by misinterpreting what the Bible says, what the Torah says. The holy days of Leviticus 23 reveal the whole plan of salvation if people would just learn what they say, what that means, what's the, why do we do these holy days and keep them? Like, I don't do this to be Jewish. I, I don't have, I have no inclination to convert to Judaism. Yeah, but you're from the 10 lost tribes, you, you believe, right? I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not. All I want to do is obey God. Okay, let's get back to the title here. 2300 days of hell begins when? 2020, in the middle of this final The two witnesses. Cycle. When does that take place? At the end of the 2300 mornings, or 1100 mornings, 2300 days, which is 20, uh, 2026 at Trumpets. Joseph's seven years of plenty. That starts with the 2300 days of hell in 2020. So in the, 2020. In 2020. So um, that's seven years for the Babylonian system. seven years system. of famine. When does that? That's the Babylonian system being destroyed when the two witnesses start their work. In 2026. In 2026. And so the seven years of famine begin in 2026. Yes. There's no rain on earth for three and a half years. Then after that, the two witnesses are killed. And then after that, begins the final three-and-a-half-year tribulation. Guys, you heard it here. If you want information, the book is called 2300 Days of Hell. Joseph Dumond, sightedmoon.com. Joe, we had an incredible conversation here. We covered an immense amount of ground. And uh, any key points that you feel like you didn't get a chance to, to that we missed? Because, look, I was guiding the discussion in areas that I'm interested in. There's other parts I'm interested in with these tombstones. Guys, the tombstones is a fascinating subject. I hope in the future to do more research on. And uh, right now I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm open to hearing these. You know, I'm open, right? I mean, I want to know the truth. The great thing I love about you, Naomi, is that you are searching for the truth and you don't care where it takes you. And that's what I love about you. And you've ingrained that in me. So I admire that. I only want the truth as well. And I'm tired of being lied to. So yeah. I want to know the truth. So I want to first thank you. Mm -hmm for allowing me to share this with you. And I want to thank you for listening and challenging me. I, you know, I, I'm challenged all the time. So I thank you for that. Hey, look, let's put it this way. You could be wrong, but if you're right and people say, hey, I want to take some action, what can they do? Keep the Sabbath. Obey the, the weekly Sabbath, Shabbat. The weekly Sabbath from sunset Friday to Amen. sunset Saturday. I'm with you on that. Keep the holy days. And okay, I'll even give a little grace if you're on different calendars. But I'm saying keep the holy days from... Uh, according to Leviticus 23, and don't add to it, according to the crescent moon and the barley being Aviv. And Naomi and I agree on that. We may differ from year to year, which we did in the past, but that's just well, or obey Or to it. the best of your ability, is yes. what you're saying. Okay. Then keep the sabbatical year. And for different people, it means different. Well, I don't have a farm. Yeah, but you eat food. So I'm saying store up food because you're to told to store up food. 
so you say keep the sabbatical year. So when you go to Walmart or whatever you have in Canada, and you got you, Walmart. Okay, and you want to buy fruit, so you won't buy fruit that was grown in Argentina in 2023. Is okay, right? so is, is that right? Well, that's Joe Dumont theology now. Okay, now it says to stock up food. It says don't plant and don't harvest that year. Yeah. So I've taken it. This is Joe Dumont theology. I've taken a step further. I will not eat stuff that's harvested and sold in the supermarket that year. Even if it's outside the land of Israel, because that's probably one of the main points. Okay, we so, yeah, with. so now we're on another subject. Okay, let, so I'll just briefly say, my, you know, my understanding, and I think the standard Jewish understanding is the is the laws of the land, sabbatical land laws are only for the land of Israel. In fact, to the point where, in, in one of the uh, things you can see at the Israel Museum, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's there's a, a giant mosaic. Yes, I am at the Israel from, Museum. From uh, Medina. No, it's not from, not Medina. It's no. from near Beit Shan, and it's a yeah. place called Rehov. Um, and it's, a, it's directly opposite the two tombstones. That's correct. Yeah. It's a giant mosaic and it mentions the sabbatical year and it's actually delineating the areas in which you're required to observe the sabbatical year and others, which you're not within the land of Israel, right? There's areas where they say, well, you really don't have to keep it for these areas. And this was at the entrance of a synagogue. It's an incredible document from around the sixth or seventh century CE. And what's, you know, one of the really important things historically is it lists all the different things that are grown. <laughs> yeah. And so it gives you a catalog of all the produce of that area. And it's, it's incredible, just the richness of the land. And so they observed it in some areas of the Beit Shan Valley and other areas they didn't. So the point is within the Jewish tradition, it was under, or interpretation, it was understood as the land of Israel. And the rabbis went even further, said even within the land of Israel, it's not everything in every area. And you're saying, no, it's worldwide. So I'm saying, I, I'm saying so, that based on Leviticus 19. And if you are growing, uh, uh, I don't know, mint leaves in a base in Antarctica to put in your tea, that also is sabbatical year, produce and shouldn't be... Are you harvesting it? You're just taking one. You're allowed to go out and take what you need okay. to eat. You so can you're talking har- about commercially harvested things. Yeah. Just okay. Don't plant and don't, uh, don't sell. Okay. But this next one's going to be a challenge because there's a lot of stuff supposed to start in 2020. So the next one's in 2023. It's going to be hard. Would you end with a prayer? Huh. Our Father, Jehovah, our powerful and great creator, thank you for this day, Father, for being able to share these things with Nehemiah to get this off my chest, to get this out there so people can hear and learn and understand. So thank you for that. I pray that you bless them to learn these things, challenge them, Father, to go and do their own research. And don't believe me, don't believe Nehemiah, don't believe the rabbis, don't believe Aunt Sue. Help them to prove it for themselves by doing their own research. And we're showing them all the stuff that we have, help them to understand it. So I ask, Father, that you bless them open up their eyes to your truth, not mine, not anybody else's, but yours alone, and help them to obey you, because that's all that counts. Amen. Amen. Shalom. You have been listening to Hebrew Voices with Nehemia Gordon. Thank you for supporting Nehemia's Makor Hebrew Foundation. Learn more at nehemiaswall.com.